hey, welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Monday, June 15th. I hope everyone had a great and a very safe weekend. Uh, still about six weeks away from the return of regular season NBA basketball, but the timeline's starting to fall into place. Looks like August 17th will be the start of the postseason. The NBA Finals would fall in the first two weeks of the month of October, but uh, still shooting for July 30th uh, to get the regular season going. And Obviously, still a long way to go. News made over the weekend. Kyrie Irving reportedly uh, organized the call of about 80 players on Friday night. Uh, he was reported uh, to to be opposing the return to play on the Disney campus. And we've heard many players weigh in really all across the board. Safety, obviously, uh, one of the primary concerns. But many players very concerned right now with um, the Black Lives Matter movement, taking attention away from that and the civil unrest uh, in our country and across the world right now. And so certainly still many discussions to be had and issues to work out over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start there with my guest today. He covers the magic for the athletic. He's on Twitter at Joshua B. Robbins. Josh Robbins, my guest today on Magic Weekly. Josh, how you doing? I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for taking for taking the time, Josh. I know it's uh, it's it's a weird time right now and it's been a weird couple of months. Um, let's just start with sort of where we are in the timeline, getting back to basketball. I do certainly want to get into some of the media concerns, um, with, uh, with, with the campus, um, on Disney property, but with where we are right now with, uh, reportedly what Kyrie and Dwight Howard and some of the concerns they raised over the weekend, uh, how much work do you think still needs to be done in order to make this thing happy, uh, happen? It's, uh, obviously an unprecedented situation and, I think we've gone a long way already, but still, still obviously plenty of work to be done. Well, I think it's an enormously complex enterprise that the league is, in, is attempting here. And in terms of what Kyrie Irving mentioned, uh, certainly those are understandable concerns. Uh, the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, should uh, overshadow uh, so much in our country right now. Uh, it, it's so it's so critical uh, to 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 reach uh, uh, to to solve these centuries old problems that our country has. Uh, but I suspect that there's a, a significant amount of work in all areas to do to 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 really s- prepare for for the league to go to Disney. What are the primary concerns from your standpoint what, what do you think the 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 hot topics of conversation are right now i mean the the safety is is one big thing obviously but when you start to get into um controlling access to the campus and how long some players are going to have to be without their families um hypothetically where and, and i'm not sure if you've taken the pulse of of any players what how do those sort of come down in terms of a list of priorities right now? Well, I suspect that health is a primary concern. Uh, Last week at some time, there was a a report that said that many of the Disney employees who will help work in in supportive capacities will not be restricted to the bubble, which in theory could mean that they could expose the uh, the NBA to the virus, uh, especially at a time when the uh, transmission rates seem, seem to be increasing 
at a very high rate here in Orange County. So I would imagine, I, I, I just saw on Twitter that certainly there were several players who were surprised to see that uh, league-wide. And uh, so I would have to imagine that that is a concern that is paramount. And as uh, Kyrie Irving mentioned, uh, anything that takes away uh, public attention from the Black Lives Matter movement uh, ostensibly uh, could jeopardize uh, the success of, of generating some very badly needed change. Uh, I would also say that uh, to a lesser extent, life within the bubble would be a concern for, for people. To, it, people who, who have to stay there for three months or more, that, that's a significant amount of time to commit to, to something like that, especially when you are sequestered in that fashion. Uh, it, it's the most complex enterprise I think the NBA has ever attempted, and uh, that's that's part of what makes uh, this effort so interesting. I, I keep on saying, if you just step back, I mean, I, I think next week, right, the the date is uh, the twenty third. We're going to allow um, coaches, uh, head coaches, access back into the practice facilities, um, like two at a time, obviously still socially distanced and, and with a whole lot of restrictions. And I just keep, you know, the idea that Steve Clifford hasn't been able to coach his players, um, in months now. And the idea that, you know, yeah, we had the CBA as a framework, but essentially you're building an entire new, entirely new league, um, on, on a campus and, uh, in Orange County, it's just it, it's really mind blowing to think about, like you said, the undertaking and and um, the enterprise and exactly what all goes into it. How far along do you think we are right now, Josh? I mean, I, we keep talking about how all the questions that still need to be answered. Um, would you say it's you know fifty percent of the work is already done, or do you think that's even a um, a, a little bit too liberal an estimate. I, how close do you think we are to getting sort of everything hashed out? I don't know. I'm not in a position <laughs> to answer. But I would say that the league almost certainly consulted with the best health experts, the best epidemiologists that league officials, who league officials could find. And they did that from the out, absolute outset. So my assumption would be that that legwork was the underpinning of everything that has followed, which in many ways is the the most difficult and the, and the most important work to get done. So I can't even presume to offer a percentage guess as to how far along they are. Certainly, I think uh, there, there are details to be hashed out uh, with the players and the players union there's no question about that, but if the uh, I would imagine the, the broad strokes and most of the details regarding health and keeping people safe uh, have been have been uh, have been met. But again, that's that's mostly a guess on my part. No, and it's been you know obviously you're talking about um, pretty pretty high level conversations here um, that are, that are happening behind closed doors. But like, you know, Adam Silver has been saying the entire time uh, we're, we're going to go by the data and not a date. Now we do have some dates, um, but that's because we've used data to guide us um, all along the way. And I think you can be pretty confident that they, uh, they made sure that those were the first, um, the first issues to get through. 
What about media access? You're the president of the Pro, uh, Professional Basketball Writers Association, Josh. I'm sure there's concerns. What's the, the number is supposed to be 1,600 uh, is the max um, in terms of all personnel um, allowed on campus. What are your concerns as far as uh, being able to do your job covering um, covering this whole enterprise goes? And, and what kind of conversations have you had on that front? Well, I'm not prepared to, to offer a significant amount of clarity there, Jake. I, I okay. apologize because these conversations with the league are, are ongoing. But I would tell you that all the Professional Basketball Writers Association wants, uh, first, we, we support the efforts to keep everyone healthy, the players, the coaches, the NBA staff members. Uh, that... Yes, we, we absolutely support that. That's what's that's critical. And uh, what we hope is that there are there are ways to to do that and to give the readers the level of coverage that they have grown accustomed to. And our hope is, is that uh, the that we in the league find solutions to some uh, logistical difficulties, some very complex logistical difficulties that enable journalists to uh, to report and produce uh, work that is of uh, playoff quality, while of course keeping everyone safe. I think we can we can uh, get there. Uh, I just think it's uh, an enormously uh, complex equation. Absolutely. And I appreciate that insight. Certainly we're talking to Josh Robbins here. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. All right, let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about basketball a little bit. It is coming back at some point. You did a great piece today and you've done a whole bunch of really good pieces, some great insight um, on Magic players and scouts around the league. Um, Today, you and Seth Partnow broke down rim protection. And for those who don't know, Seth is uh, formerly of the Milwaukee Bucks. He is uh, what would you call him? A, a, a data specialist? I mean, there's really nobody better in terms of statistical data um, in the NBA community than Seth is. And you guys dove into Nikola Vucevic specifically and Mo Bamba's rim protection and just how you actually go about uh, measuring rim protection. Who was uh, a, a good rim protector? And the idea of, um, of keeping shots out of the paint, the sort of deterrence um, factor that weighs in. What did you find as you as you dove into the rim protection numbers with Seth, Josh? Well, what I what I learned, among other things, is that uh, just how uh, again the word complex is something that that has come up a lot of uh, often in these eleven minutes so far. But how complex it is to to kind of create a model to numerically measure rim protection. Uh, which is no surprise, really, because measuring defense is a lot more than simply measuring block shots and, and steals. Sure. Uh, what? So it was interesting to have Seth take readers and take me through his process, and uh, you know he had some interesting observations with regard to Mo Bamba and Nick Vucevic. Uh, certainly, the the narrative among Magic fans is uh, that Nick Vucevic is a subpar rim protector and that uh, the Magic need a drastic improvement there. That is not quite, that that doesn't match 
what uh, Seth's uh, analysis was. In addition, uh, there had been there was an article that I wrote uh, with the help of NBA scouts for NBA scouts a couple of weeks ago on the Athletic, in which the scouts basically said that they weren't very much impressed at all by Mo Bamba's defense. Well, Seth, uh, when he dove into the numbers, uh, demonstrated that in many ways Mo Bamba is protecting the rim better than what the so-called eye test would reveal. So uh, there were some some uh, interesting results there that, that Seth found, and I, I would encourage readers to, to read it and, um, and uh, give me their takes on it, because it's, it's an interesting perspective that I'm glad we were able to, to bring to the fore. Both those pieces with Mo specifically, it seems like, Josh, the perception doesn't necessarily match the reality. When you dive into the numbers, and I realize that Mo is still far from an unfinished or far from a finished product, but when you look into the numbers, I think um, I think your standard Magic fan maybe doesn't give Mo enough credit for as effective he is on the floor. I think there are times in Mo's body language can sort of overpower. You have that one lasting moment. You, you know, you remember him getting beat off the dribble or something like that. Um, I'm not sure we're I, I'm not sure we're telling the whole picture as far as Mo goes because, like you said, sometimes the numbers don't match up with the eye test. Well, there's no question that he blocks shots at a very high rate. I mean, he blocks 5.1% of all of opponent's shots when he's on the floor. Not to uh, inundate you or listeners with per- with the word percent or percentiles, but that's 99th percentile in the league. Uh, what When I watch is what happens on the other 95% of the plays. And in this piece, Seth gives us reason to, to, to think that it's that his impact on the court uh, is a lot better than what the eye test seems to indicate. So it's a, it's a valuable perspective for sure. It's going to be interesting. And uh, you've done a, a, a series of, of really good pieces, um, just sort of diving in. What, what are, what's your level of expectation, I guess? Um, let's just start with the basketball. Like, how do you expect the basketball to look? Early on, um, do you think that, you know, I'm hearing people say probably jump shooting teams might be at a disadvantage early on in the playoffs or um, in, in, the, in the last regular season seeding games? Do you have any sort of guesses about what we're going to see and maybe um, if, if it's going to favor certain types of teams? That, do you have any sort of prevailing notions of how this is going to look? I think the the basketball at first in these opening regular season games or the seeding games, whatever uh, we call them, I think that the basketball will be rough. Mm. It won't be what we typically expect from the the opening eight games of a regular season. I I think this will favor defensive-oriented teams for the most part. Uh, I expect uh, individual players to be – uh, to be more, to be playing uh, their performances, to be more roller coaster like, uh, difficult to really gain consistency. And if, if uh, teams are playing eight games in fifteen days, I do expect fatigue to to creep in there. Now I know how many fans will respond to that. Well, these are some of the the world's most well conditioned uh, 
dedicated uh, professional athletes uh, in the world. And yes, that's true, but there's a significant difference between, let's say, running three miles on a, a treadmill and running three miles during an NBA game. Uh, I, I do know that people throughout the league for teams are very concerned about the possibility of, of injuries. Apparent, mm-hmm. uh, so I think unfortunately that's a legitimate concern. Uh, this all makes what is about to occur just very, very difficult to predict. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I, I spoke with uh, numerous members of the Magic's high performance staff um, a couple weeks ago for a series of podcasts, and, and and one of the things that that I laughed about, Josh, you know, when um, when the practice facilities closed back in March, you know, everybody assumes that you're an NBA player, you've got you know a, a big estate, and you've got an indoor basketball court, and I'm like, a lot of these guys live in condos, just like I used to when I lived in downtown Orlando or wherever, um, and use the gym. You know, they they use the practice facility, obviously, but they use a little mini gym downstairs, like a hotel gym. I, the Chris Pauls and the LeBrons of the world may have. Um, a big palatial estate with a with a basketball court, but a lot of these guys do not. And so you're right. Like the, there's, um, they, they've obviously had a whole lot of people contributing to to them staying in shape. But it, it's a it's a big difference between jumping on the Peloton um, and, and, and going through a full training camp. And obviously that's why we have this um, this extended training camp put into place. And hopefully um, you're able to mitigate some of that because I keep going back to Josh, like, yeah, having a four month layoff, um, is going to be something that, you know, these guys have never experienced, but I, but just the rhythm of, uh, of over the course of a year, you know, you play, um, you play six months of regular season basketball and you ramp up to the intensity level of the postseason. I don't care how in shape you are. If you just play eight regular season games and you dive right in, to postseason basketball, uh, it's almost two different sports, the level of intensity when you get to the playoffs. That, that's right. And I think that is part of what I would imagine the Magic's concerns would be about bringing back uh, Jonathan Isaac and mm. Al Farouk Aminu, uh, that uh, both of them have not played in, will not have played for a minimum of seven months. In, in Farouk's case, it will be eight full months. Uh, so to almost ask them to, to parachute in and, and very quickly, without any five-on-five, five, um, to, to play in a playoff intensity game, I, I do think that's unfair. Or it's certainly, uh, so it's almost far-fetched for me to think that that's a a real possibility. You know, one of the things I think fans forget is that during a summertime, players could play some five-on-five. Now, it's not going to be playoff intensity or regular season intensity where people are are really guarding, but it at least keeps keeps your baseline uh, physical condition up. And then in September, before training camps, teams – you know, players usually go back to their team's cities if they're not there already and are playing three-on-three, playing five-on-five. So they are certainly more ready at the start of training camp then than I suspect they will be when training camps start uh, next month. 
It's going to yeah, be interesting. I, I hate to be a downer. I feel like I'm a downer here. For no, you, so. not at all, Josh. Look, I, you used the word complex. I mean, I didn't bring you on the podcast to ask uh, easy questions. I mean, we're talking about complex issues. I can't – Dante uh, and I were talking off air. Nothing about 2020 has been remotely standard, Josh. I mean, it, we're going through one crisis after another. And, you know, in some instances, um, like as far as the civil unrest goes, like it, it's good. We need this. We need change in our country. But um, it's – at times, it's you just kind of step back and go, I've got so many questions, and there aren't very many answers right now, uh, especially when we're talking about something which to you and I is is our lifeblood, but in the grand scheme of things, is very trivial when we're talking about pro sports. So um, that's why I like talking to you. I mean, you, you, you're not going to lie to me, certainly, and you're going to give me... Um, you're going to give me your best guess, and I'm going to make you do it once more before I let you go. An uneducated venture of a guess as to what the calendar looks like next season. Well, my guess is is that uh, a season probably would start in mid to late December. Um, I have seen some reporting that the league is considering uh, raising the number of back-to-backs to help the league finish uh, closer to where it would normally finish in a so-called normal season. Okay. Uh, so, so that's my guess. Now, I, I would also like to say I would hope that the interview the interview doesn't let uh, end here because I need this sort of uh, interpersonal <laughs> uh, give and take. Given that I've been essentially uh, sequestered myself here in my uh, uh, rabbit hole of an apartment, so. Uh, hopefully you have more questions. Well, it's difficult for me right now, Josh, because because of all of the issues that are still being worked out. You know, I especially as a team employee, I don't want to be somebody who um, who diminishes the concerns that Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard have. And quite frankly, I thought it was it was crap that a lot of people sort of cast them aside because Kyrie is the type of person who, you know, who who marches to his own beat. Um, the, those are very valid concerns and it's difficult because there is a really fine line between distraction, which is basically what Dwight was saying and what I think you and I, and, and everybody, you know, most of us want is we want the compromise. We want them both. We want to, tr- to play basketball and we want to, to try to get back to some sense of normalcy, but we want to use that platform um, to, to help enforce some of these societal changes. So, um, I, it's tricky, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to have a strong stance one way or the other, because what I want is the change to happen while we're playing basketball. And, and quite frankly, Josh, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I don't know if it's possible for us to go back to basketball and to still keep in the front of our mind, um, the changes that need to happen in this country. Well, what I was saying was when I made my my uh, comment was that I was hoping this interview could continue because I need because I need this uh, interpersonal contact to continue. <laughs> uh, but uh, in ter- in terms of the movement that's occurring, it, it, it it's so important. It's so important that this country improves and changes. Uh, and uh, I I see where Kyrie Irving is is coming from. He. Yeah, he makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, these issues, the issues that the murder of George Floyd exemplifies, uh, have to be have to be solved. 
they have to be solved after so many centuries of injustice in this country. They they have to be solved. And so it's good that he's he's lending his voice to that. And um, if the NBA does indeed resume play, I, I I do hope that it would serve as a a forum to help advance the discussion and get this country uh, much farther further along toward a, a solution that um, we wish had. Uh, never needed that the issues never existed in the first place. So um, let, let's hope that uh, finally this country gets gets this right. Do you think it's, I'm going to ask for your opinion again, I'm turning you into a radio host or at least trying to, do you think it's appropriate to play? I think it would be, I think it's certainly, I think it would certainly be appropriate for the players and the coaches to use these games and the playoffs as an opportunity to amplify their opinions about this critically important issue. Yeah. Uh, Certainly this, this whole country is facing another crisis as well with the coronavirus crisis. one uh, one hopes that in in addition to keeping the uh, our eyes on on the issues raised uh, through the Black Lives Matter movement, that people also remember that uh, you know everyone's health is in jeopardy as well. So I, I hope that uh, that everyone really tries to solve these issues that 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 all of us face and inclu- including the issues uh, raised by the Black Lives Matter movement just you know it, it's it's sad to say uh, how much progress we still need to make there after you know one would think that that our country would have learned these lessons by now um, I'm rambling unfortunately no that's a, you're you're saying what what I, how i feel i mean it's but it's complicated and that that's what i keep going back to is you know like you said we should be in a place where we shouldn't have to have this conversation every few years and in the back of your head i think you you do wonder like dwight was saying you know, if if we go back out there and I go one of 15, then people are going to talk about that. They're not going to talk about George Floyd. And we can't let George Floyd, um, you know, I don't want to say die in vain, but if, if, if we treat George Floyd, George Floyd's life like we did Eric Garner's and like, like we did everybody else's, then, then this is going to happen again in a couple of years. You know, if we just go back to basketball and wear a T-shirt, then I'm not sure if that's enough. Um, so I, I fully understand where the players are coming from. And I think it was George Hill who said, you know, basketball is the furthest thing from my mind right now. Um, so I, you know, I'm with you. I think ideally for me, what I would like to see is, um, is, is the NBA as it often has been as kind of a leader in terms of pushing forward that social change, also uh, uniting us a little bit, you know, um, certainly there's something 
to be said for um for you know i don't want to call it a distraction but for sort of a unifying uh, source of entertainment um at times like this but you know it's it's a very fine line between um do we go back to the way our lives were and everything's fine again um and and and, and do we provide sort of um an impetus to to force that change and i do think and you know you can't you can't deny it um if 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 we don't play then the voices aren't amplified like they typically would be of course you know players are still going to have platforms and um they're still going to have money and they're still going to be able to affect social change but the best way to do it and Colin Kaepernick's probably proved positive the best way to do it is when the cameras are on and the cameras are on when you're playing basketball so um i don't know it's a it's a tricky thing it's tough it's tough for people like you and I, I think, to to really illustrate in words. Um, you know, I, you're a journalist. You know, you you want to tell the story that's unfolding in front of you. And um, I'm a basketball radio dude. You know, I, I I just want to talk about hoops, and so it can be complicated. Um, but that's why I like talking to you about stuff like this. I think you uh, you you make me think. Well, I would say this: uh, having something on the court to write about it is the least of least of my concerns. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I hear what I hear exactly, uh, what George Hill is saying, you know, that there are more important issues going on that, than basketball. And, um, so I guess, I guess the, the thematic word or the word that's kind of, underpin this entire conversation is complex. And I certainly don't have the answer as to uh, what the impact of, of playing would have uh, on the larger society. I, I would be uh, kidding myself to think I, I have that answer. No, you're right. Uh, I don't think anybody does. And I think, I think more than likely, um, well, you know, we're, we're, we're going to find out. I mean, I, I, I don't think we're headed. Um, I don't think this thing is going to get sidetracked. And I, I think people like you and I, we're just going to kind of keep our fingers crossed that we're able to multitask. We're able to do both. We're able to bring back basketball, um, but still still focus on the changes that need to be made in this country. And, you know, it's it, 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 hopefully we're never going to go back to normal. Hopefully we're always going to be talking about these things moving forward because, um, we're talking about systemic issues. It's not going to be uh, one quick fix. We're talking about, um, you know, the, the growth and maturation of a society. And uh, unfortunately, we're not where we need to be. And um, it's uh, it's going to take a lot of work. This has been fun, uh, I think. It's been good for me to talk to you as well. I'm pinned up myself. Well, you you are certainly far more eloquent about it than I am. You know, it's one. So, uh, you know, what what you've what you just said is is what is what I think. And so, um, you know, thank you for thank you for saying that. Thanks for joining me. Um, thanks for the update on um, on the writers. I, I do want to keep an eye on that. I'm sure there will be some sort of uh, um, announcement or, you know, I, I think I'm I'm sure there will be a public facing um agreement when, when all is said and done but i know uh journalists and 
Um, anybody in my business appreciates what you do uh, with the PBWA. So uh, keep fighting the good fight, Josh. And hopefully I'll see you in person sometime before 2021. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. But you know, if it, if it does, it means that uh, that you know we've made pro- uh, progress on the coronavirus issue. So, um, in terms of finding a vaccine, so that would that would be that would be uh, most welcome. Socially distanced with masks, of course. He's Josh Robbins. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joshua B Robbins. Make sure you read all of his stuff in the Athletic. My name is Jake Chapman. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. I'll be back next week with another edition of Magic Weekly. Have a great and a very safe week, everybody.